Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Josh Brown, there's one major game from this year that I've not even remotely touched, and I believe that you've been getting stuck into it. Well, Scott Telford, yes, I have. Over the weekend, <laughs> I have been playing Dying Light 2 because, mm. as you may know, it was the Jubilee long weekend uh, yes. last week, so we were off from Thursday until Sunday, and this started great for me. I had two great days, one of them at Slam Dunkin' Leeds. Yes. However, I then got a cold, so all I could do <laughs> was sit in my house Saturday, Sunday, and I was off work yesterday, oh, and no. I played the hell out of Dying Light 2. That was a game that I thought obviously had been delayed for ages. The development was all over the place and I was going to pick it up but I just, I kind of just stayed away. It felt like the the way that it was coming together was a bit spotty. Yes. And and then they had that whole thing about the runtime being ridiculous, like hundreds of hours long um, and it just felt like one of those games where there's going to be tons of side missions, tons of random open world stuff to do. Is it a zombified version of Ghostwire Tokyo? Um, it is an extremely strange game. First mm. off, I will say that this is the wind up. We do this every <laughs> single Monday. I'm just joined today by Scott Tilford. Hello. It's, it's weird me doing the hosting right now. One of us should impromptu. do the actual intro to the show. Yes, wind <laughs> up stuff. We always talk about the latest news uh, talking points and whatever the latest games are. And we've actually been playing stuff. We certainly So have. we'll do that and then we'll get to some sort of state of play type stuff and even the Steam Deck as well. Uh, absolutely. So yeah, going back to Dying Light, it's um, obviously, like you said, you know, this was incredibly delayed for a long time. It's seven years or so after mm. the original came out and it very much feels like a game from 2015, 2014. Right. Uh, you have you know, the same kind of open world mechanics. You were mm-hmm. taking out um, enemy outposts. You were liberating <laughs> their version of Ubisoft Towers, which are windmills that open the map up for you and okay. all of that stuff. You even have, and this was such a flashback <laughs> for me, you have the exact lop, lock picking mechanic that was in Skyrim. No that way. was in Fallout 3. I have not done that minigame in about seven years, man. So to do it again, <sighs> it was in Fallout 4. Me think, how archaic is this title? And that's kind of how I would describe it. It's not um, a bad game by any means. Mm. You know, I've been enjoying it, but it is bloated and it feels like a game that is long overdue. I think if it came out, you know, three years mm. after the original dropped, um, I would be... Th- and looking at it more fondly and thinking about it more fondly, but because it's been seven years, mm. an entire console generation has passed since then, I am looking at it and it feels like a, a creaky A window old, to the past. Yeah, a window to the past in both good and bad ways. So the whole thing with Dying Light is the parkour stuff, and that was the thing that made me, because I played Dying Light 1, and I didn't do that much of it. I just, I never like first-person platforming. I never feel like I can really get a feel for where I'm going to land, and I don't like the, the momentum of it that much. Um, I just didn't really vibe with Dying Light. I know it's a massive fan favorite, and 
people love the parkour mechanics, and that game is held up as the only game that ever did first-person parkour, like, well. Obviously, there's Mirror's Edge or whatever. But what have they done to differentiate or maintain the, the dying lightness of the game, or does it feel like Skyrim with zombies? Um, it, it, Funnily enough, you mentioned Skyrim <laughs> with zombies there. It actually, I think they did at one point in development, they said they, they were really? aiming to do more, like, it was something when they were talking about the runtime, and they were like, oh, we want to make, like, a Skyrim-sized world or something like that. Yes. Um, and that was when they were like, it'll take you 800 hours to do everything. And it's like, yeah, no one's ever going to do that. Well, that's something I need to get onto because mm. they have taken inspiration from Bethesda RPGs and they have tried to essentially make Dying Light an RPG right. with this game. But yes. briefly going back to the, the parkour system, essentially what they have done to improve the mechanics of everything that was in Dying Light 1 is just make them bigger, adds okay. to them, like the world itself is bigger, but it is kind of more fluid in the way that you are parkouring around. Like it feels fun. It feels mm. like you have a real sense of momentum uh, and it's just a great way to traverse an open world like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it made me nostalgic for like the older Assassin's Creeds where you <laughs> would do, obviously, you know, a lot of climbing, a lot of exploring and that was kind of the main focus. Here, mm. I've barely done any zombie killing. It's mostly really? just being uh, running around and traversing and what have you and they've incorporated new mechanics into this game. Obviously, the kind of... It's not a wingsuit. It's like more like a glider, okay. I suppose, like in Breath of the Wild that you can use to traverse the more vertical city mm. this time around. And you can, uh, you know, fly over these kind of gusts of wind that carry you higher <laughs> and replenish your stealth. Like Anthem. Uh, yeah, like Anthem. <laughs> replenish your stamina and what have you. So it's essentially they've taken what you everyone liked about Dying Light and made it bigger. That doesn't always work because what I actually really liked about the original Dying Light was its tightness and its compactness. The mm. world was big, but it was more dense. Yeah. So it it felt like you actually had a real sense of progression as you were progressing through it. You know, you got to know it more. You got mm. to go inside the interiors of buildings more. Admittedly, you do spend more time in Dying Light 2 kind of just running past things, right. which I think is a missed opportunity in a way. It feels more like a sandbox than a city, which the, was the first one very much felt like a city. That's a very, very, very key distinction because if there's one thing that I've gravitated more towards over time, it is tight focus. Like you said, density is a key thing that I look for in my open world games, um, which I'm going to talk about Sniper Elite when we get there, but like that's one of the things that made me go like, this is how to, this is the future of open world games, is sort of Hitman sized, um, you know, medium to large size levels, but they feel um, curated yeah. and they feel like filled with specific AI scripts and not just here's a bunch of stuff. Uh, a direct comparison would be the uh, Sonic Frontiers stuff. I don't know if you've been keeping up with I have not. <laughs> the Sonic Frontiers, because uh, it's it's Sonic's first open world game. And it looks horrendous. It just looks like a tech demo. <laughs> and I love Sonic, but it just looks like an unreal tech demo. And the reaction to that has just been, have you made a game? Or have you just put Sonic in an open world? Right. Because um, it's just open and barren, and there's just stuff to do in a bunch of different directions. But it feels really stodgy, and it's just, it doesn't feel compelling. And I feel like one of the ways that, you know, there was the whole open world boom of the 2000s, and that sort of um, challenge to make the biggest game possible. And then we've kind of done that. And we've gone, okay, what's, it, what does it feel like to have? a game that'll take you hundreds of hours to traverse and then now we've kind of gone okay let's bring it back in let's refine it um, and let's do like like you know let's up the density and everything so I guess that's another reason why Dying Light feels kind of old because yeah. um, I remember when you went through Days Gone that was kind of endemic of that old school stuff of big old world stuff to do but you don't really need to do any of it this is very similar to Days mm. Gone and it's, and it's not just because they both obviously are centered around zombies <laughs> and kind of like these post-apocalyptic games just yeah in terms of how they approach their open world and more importantly the content in that open mm. world world like there are things to genuinely find fun 
to find in Dying Light 2, but they are few and far between. There's a lot of repeated kind of encounters, mm. a lot of repeated activities, all of that stuff. You can tell how they've bulked it out because the main campaign itself isn't really that long. There right. are a lot of side quests, that and that's does where the game me. does excel. But the thing is, when it comes to like the main quest specifically, they have taken inspiration from the Bethesda by making it the worst part of the game. <laughs> um, it's the most uh, like forgettable kind of like story. And going back right. to what I said earlier, they've tried to make it an RPG. So the whole gimmick this time around is that you're essentially doing missions for a bunch of different factions, and then you get to decide who you want to side with. You know, make decisions. The Imperials of the, the Stormcloaks. Yeah. Yeah, that have um, ramifications on how that plot develops. And some of the um, scenarios are actually really interesting and really engaging and surprising. There are a few twists along the way mm. um, that are really cool to see. The issue is that the writing itself is not good. Um, <laughs> the writing of the characters is, again, very much in the vein of a 2015 game. You know, you've right. got your kind of, like, cringy, macho, like, um, characters <laughs> in there, and the voice acting isn't incredible. So they've done it, they, they've risked it, risked it all, essentially, by taking what you enjoyed mm. about Dying Light and this time doubling down on the thing that people didn't enjoy, uh, which was the story. The villain as well from and, Dying and the, Light and the 1, the villain, yeah. absolutely, which is commendable because, yeah, you look at the criticism, you say, I want to address that, but sadly for me, how they have addressed that and uh, by doubling down on the writing when the writing isn't so good mm. does kind of bring the experience um, down for me. If you ignore that, you can have like a really good time. It's just a shame that while the scenarios of the plot are quite engaging, mm. the actual moment-to-moment storytelling isn't compelling and actually uh, is confusing at times. I feel like there's a, there's a, an old video that... Um, movie review critic Chris Stuckman did. I think it was called like the um, the epidemic of forgettable movies or something like that. It was a few years ago. Yeah, I and remember. I feel this. like, yeah, and it's like, it crosses over into games because you get stuff like this, kind of like Ghostwire Tokyo, like kind of like Dying Light 2, um, where it is just, you know, the production values are high enough. It looks engaging. It's like, this is, I remember thinking this with The Division. It's like, and it's not that I quite like The Division 1, but only for 20, 30 hours-ish. Like, it was one of those games, which is always the case where it's the same after 30 hours as after 30 minutes. And I get that assumption from Dying Light. I don't know if that's true or not, but like it's that feeling and it's that thing of so many, you know exactly what this was going to be. And it's like, you can go and get a game and it'll give you 50 to 100 hours of something, yeah. but whether it's engaging or memorable, like, you know, it's just something. It's go have a video game for 50 hours. Like, and I always want something more than that. And it's like, sometimes absolute fast food, I'll, maybe I'm need to binge a podcast or something, I can put something like this on. Um, but it's like, the, it's like mastication, the genre, yeah. like the term for when cows chew grass for like 10 hours or whatever it is. Um, it's like that. It's just something to do for like a few hours. Absolutely. That's that's very much Dying Light 2 in quite a generous way. Mm. You know, I'd give it something like a 7 out of 10 or right. what have you. It very much is a podcast game. I've yeah. literally been listening to so many podcasts while playing through. <laughs> Batman Unburied? Uh, not, not yet. Not, oh. not quite yet. But while playing um, this game. And that's like fine. You know what I mean? But I've just decided now, I think, that when it comes to open world games specifically, I need it to have some kind of like central thesis or some kind of thing <laughs> that all the mechanics orbit around yep. because otherwise you get something like Dying Light, which, you know, you look at it and there are things to engage with in there that are fun. There are some good systems, mm. but they're all kind of like isolated and nebulous. And it's like, yeah, I could do a fun side mission, uh, but how does that connect to the rewards of, you know, this random activity or this story mission? You know mm. what I mean? They all, almost feel, and because they probably were, developed by like completely different people and then constructed at the last minute. And like mm. I said, that can make for some cool uh, 
times in a good few hours, but it also makes for hours that are forgettable. Ultimately, would you recommend it? Because this is one of the only games of this year so far that I've not touched yet. And it's one of the, like, it's one of the biggest, if it is, the, the thing is, it's so weird. Its reception was so muted. Like, yeah. it was after so many years of it coming out. And I, th- I thought they actually turned around, turned the um, the optics of the game around pretty strongly when they started doing the Dev Diary stuff. Because they had that whole green screen studio. They made it look like they were sitting in the game world when they were interviewing all the different staff members and stuff. Um, and the different creative leads and everything. And considering the development hell of it, I was like, oh, it's cool you guys turned this around. Um, but I've only seen mixed to negative reactions to Dying Light 2 over time. Like, I checked out the Reddit the other day because I was like, I'll just see what the general fandom is saying. And they were all sort of like, this game gets worse the more you play it, or this isn't, like, right. doesn't, um, you know, doesn't have the same sort of punch as Dying Light 1 or the following DLC or whatever. Um, and it's that kind of thing where I feel like Dying Light 2 finally sort of shambled out, pardon the pun. <laughs> and, but it is that thing where it's just kind of there if you want it. It's, there's no real yeah. reason to pick it up unless you just want to thwack some zombies with a pipe. That's absolutely it. If Which you I do, do want to thwack some zombies with a pipe and you want to <laughs> run around. Only if it means something, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> really, um, you know, beautifully rendered open world. Like, I would recommend it if you're just after something to kind of plug a gap. Mm. If you're after a podcast game, if you're after just a decent set of mechanics for 10, 20 hours, then yeah, pick it up. I will say that um, it, it, I'll say two things actually. One, it has an absolutely abysmal introduction that <laughs> sets it up terribly, and you need to push through that and then realize, so oh, funny. there actually is something good here and worthwhile. And two, it makes the same mistake that Aliens Colonial Marines did. Oh, no. In that it doesn't forefront the actual enemies and monsters that you're there Uh. for, the zombies, and instead, at least in the main campaign, for the majority of main missions, you're actually fighting just dudes, and it's like... Why? Why are there so many (laughs) missions where I'm just fighting, like, guys or, like, bosses where it's just the same three dudes with, like, machetes or clubs, and it's like, you've got this cool, excellent zombie system. You've got this excellent gore system. Mm-hmm. And, and yet in the main story, at least, it's like you don't even want it to be a dying light game. I absolutely think that's because they're chasing the Far Cry crowd. And I, that, I also think, because of how much it's been pushed back, that this was meant to release in the, the Far Cry, the, the boom of Far Cry before Far Cry 6, like before everybody kind of got sick of that franchise. Because um, there's so many things that you're mentioning, like the glider or the way that they, like that the fact that they've sort of diluted the, um, the parkourness of it to sort of give you more open world stuff to do. And another generic villain, another generic writing. It's like, that's Far Cry, like, to some degree. 100%. Uh, the thing, the, the game that it has reminded me of the most, apart from the first time, like, mm. uh, going through it, is Far Cry 6. I think right. it's better than Far Cry 6, but everything that you just said there is spot on, and you've not even played it. You know what I mean? It's like, that's it's I feel how... like I know what it's going to be. Like, Absolutely. That's one of the biggest problems with it. I'm still, I'm so curious. I'm kind of hoping it comes on Game Pass before the end of the year, because um, I do want to, I just want to get more hands-on with it, because it's like, it's the only thing I've not played this year. Um, that feels like it has a reputation around it or feels like it has a, a sort of energy around it where you should give it some time. Um, but I guess we'll see what you, th- see what you think when you've uh, finished it. But you said you were like zeroing in on the end of it. Really close, like two thirds of the way through, mm. I would say. So yeah, definitely enough to get like a good overview of it. I've seen like the the big maps, you know what I mean? I feel right. like I've got, I've, I, I almost feel like I've already got my fill of it. Well, that's the thing. I think I, that was my thing with Ghostwire Tokyo where I keep hovering over that on my PS5 dashboard going like, I really should finish this, but I have zero pull to do so. Um, and it's because it's one of those games. Like I said, we don't really have a name for that genre where it's just a bunch of stuff in an open space kind of game where the vast majority of what you're doing doesn't matter. It's just, stat- just numbers to go up. Like, yeah. I just don't care. Um, even though, that's not to say that Ghostwire Tokyo's pull is not brilliant and I really, I'd recommend the prequel comic. Like, there's all that stuff. But um, yeah, there's something about that stodgy kind of feeling where it's like, I'm just killing time. 
um, that on the other side of a pandemic, I, I want to do something more purposeful. I think we should do a podcast at some point on mm. just like the stodge of certain yeah. AAA games because I remember playing Horizon Forbidden West, which I really loved, mm. but that felt like so overstuffed that going to something like uh, Sifu, mm-hmm. Sifu, 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 uh, which was <laughs> so clean, both in its visual presentation and mechanical uh, feature set, mm. that I just gravitated towards that because it did have this kind of like straightforward, just kind of like cleanness to it. And it's almost what, the same reason I'm also gravitating towards playing Ninja Gaiden on the Ooh. Game Pass because uh, that trilogy is just launched on there because I'm like, I want the... Simplicity is maybe reductive, but I want the simplicity. I want the mm. cleanness of that set of mechanics, that visual style, over something as visually muddy and kind of mechanically overwhelming as a dying light. Too. Yeah, I think it's like wanting, like, to know that you're not one to know you're actually going to be able to finish it. It's not going to take a hundred odd hours across weeks for you to get through something. And then two for something that was made with a certain like purpose in terms of the storytelling or like the pacing or whatever. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think that as the, as this weird quasi-genre has taken off. It's only pushed me back towards stuff that feel focused and refined. Sifu is like this awesome, like, flex punch of a game. Like, I love that thing so much. You might say it's the third best game of the year, <laughs> Some would say. Some would say. Um, but th- those people will be outed in the next month or so when certain videos go online, but we'll find out. Um, but yeah, I'm going to pivot into um, Sniper Elite 5, um, which I'll do quite quickly because I've just done a massive 180 on that game. Um, I feel like, because um, we talked about it, I think, last week or the week before, um, just saying that it, it just felt a bit kind of bit awkward, a bit so weird to get used to. The aim sensitivity was super high. The opening of the game takes, I don't know, 20 minutes-ish to kind of get going. It takes a beat to get used to the amount of options that you have open to you. Um, and it's not as um, streamlined and as punchy as Sniper Elite 4. However, I only think that works in its favor the more that I played it. I was always going to play more of it anyway, um, even though I felt that it was quite off-putting at the very beginning. And it's just turned into one of the best games of this year. If not, one of the best examples of how to do a new age stealth game. Like literally, this is how the future of the stealth genre can be. Like you have these massive Hitman sized worlds that are, you know, like have a million different ways that you can infiltrate, different ways that you can take out targets. You can also hang way back and because obviously we're on newer hardware and the draw distance is massive, is the biggest it's ever been. And you can see across the entire map and then you can work out the bullet drop and the wind resistance and whatever. And the game can help you with those things too if you don't want to have it on the hardest difficulty. And then just take off, take on, no pull off rather, these incredibly satisfying headshots, gut shots, testicle shots if you want. (laughs) Um, or whatever, and that goes alongside all the um, Splinter Cell-style takedown animations that you have, whether you're hanging off a ledge or dropping down onto a guy um, or taking someone out from around a corner. Um, And you just, they've just, it's stealth gaming, the stealth genre, like, perfected. Like, it's just, you have a listen mode if you want to know where everybody is around you. You can kind of pick up on the minimap where um, clusters of enemies might be, so you can kind of tweak all those things so you don't know exactly where someone is, but they're in that, you know, area, and then tag them manually yourself. And it just has this really great loop of, um, you know, taking a bunch of dudes out, looting their bodies or whatever, finding better equipment. And then you also, the way that the uh, levels play out, you know, you'll find intel that'll tell you this other most wanted target is somewhere off on the other side of the map. And so, you know, you're going to spend hours in each map just sort of doing every little bit thing because every part of it is just so satisfying. Um, and I love the way, one last thing is I love the way they handle um, AI, like pockets of AI. Okay. Like even if you, um, actually I've got two last things. One thing is, um, you know, even if you go in guns blazing, something goes wrong, you get spotted, whatever it is, um, you can have a shootout, you can, or you can just disappear. There's a whole, you know, um, the last place you were seen, spent a self-conviction style thing where you can lose the enemy, like the AI, the AI will pursue you. Um, but if you then just go, you know, down, because the world's just, the maps are so big, when you get to the next place, they're not activated, or maybe a couple of them are, or whatever. And it lets you sort of reset that stealth 
Like, I'm always resetting checkpoints to do stealth games properly. Yeah. But the game kind of does that anyway. Um, or its checkpointing is good if you want to do that. And the last thing is that they have Dark Souls-style or Deathloop-style infiltration, uh, invasion methods um, from other players. Right. So um, I eventually turned it off because it got in the way of my stealth brain uh, too much. But I did have some of the best sniper showdowns uh, across these maps where the game just tells you you've been invaded by someone somewhere in the map. And obviously you're all hunkered down like in the middle of a bush um, waiting to take out someone else anyway. And then all of a sudden you're like, is that AI moving like a person would? I think that's them. Um, And there's all these different ways that you can, if you're the invader, you can mess with the player by um, calling um, more uh, reinforcements and stuff on them. Or you can just, as the person trying to defend, try and spot that person and take them out and um, looking for the rifle glint as they're aiming for you and things like that. It gets very Battle Royale really immediately, you know, nice. where you're using uh, camouflage to your advantage and everything. And so it's just such a bulky, perfected package. I think that it has, a, like I said, a weird intro that's quite off-putting. Um, but it doesn't take very long. And if you just kind of go with it, yeah. kind of go with the amount of options on on uh, on offer, I think this might be one of the best stealth games ever made. Like, I'm thinking Chaos Theory. Like, it's it's way up there. I mean, I'm absolutely... You've convinced me, man. Dude. Like, I'm definitely, definitely going to be checking this thing out again. <laughs> if you're comparing it to Splinter Cell, if you're giving it the thumbs up, hell yeah, I will... I will Try that thing once more. You should. I think that, like I said, it's just worth diving into. It's on Game Pass, so that's over on Xbox if you already have Game Pass. Um, just give it a shot. The opening's a bit sort of uh, stilted. I think that they sort of roll out the mechanics a bit weirdly. And it, it does take a bit of um, intuition or just going with the confidence on your part as a player to be like, I'm just going to push the buttons and see what options I have um, and just start experimenting with the different gadgets. You know, you can sort of faff around with uh, whistles and decoys and timed mines um, and all the weak spots that are on different um, people, but they're also on vehicles. Um, and you can put mines down on the, you know, you might want to blow up a switch your ammo type and take out a guy silently and then blow up a mine that's taken out a vehicle. There's just loads of things like that where you can just have fun in a sandbox but it's condensed enough it's dense enough yeah. and where there's always another enemy or there's something else to interact with um, and this game's third level which is the last thing I'll say on this game um, is easily one of the games of one of the levels of the year I know we're at the half mark but um, it'll be amazing if something beats that right. it's like this insane um, sort of oceaned water marked off uh, kingdom level thing that you just sort of, you come out from like the distance and you can just spend ages um, shooting dudes from a million miles away um, getting all your angles right and everything like um, silent scope style or you can go in and infiltrate proper Sam Fisher Hitman style. I not say that in so itself good. sounds incredibly Hitman yeah. in the way that's designed. And it's just like, yeah, you have all those options and if you've played stealth games for a while, you'll think in those ways of like, I'm going to deploy like a Sam Fisher mentality or Sniper Elite's own mentality um, or whatever. I just, I think it's brilliant i feel like i've talked for about 10 minutes you have not but it's really really good um we should pivot into um state of play stuff um because sony had their big state of play during i think it was during the jubilee weekend when it we was were away. thursday night in right. scott tilford i have a really boring story i'm going to tell you <laughs> because i've never been more happy to get back from the pub right because right. i thought stupidly that it was on at 6 p.m uk time uh, it was not it was no. on 6 p.m u.s time so i thought i'd missed it while i was out in leeds got back to the hotel just in time for it and it turned out to be like one of the best state of players they've ever done and i was watching it on this like screen on crappy hotel wi-fi yep. like 260p thinking this is blowing me away <laughs> the uh, the thing with state of play is i've learned to minimize if not eliminate my expectations i feel like every other one that they've done has been abysmally disappointing and they've yeah. misread the audience or what a state of play can even be every single time 
time. And so for this one, the amount of different things that they went in and just went, no, we've got this, we've got this, we've got this. Um, I think they opened on Resident Evil 4 Remake. I was in the toilet. I missed it. <laughs> I didn't notice until the end. I came in what? when it was Resident Evil 8 VR. And right. I was talking to my girlfriend. She was like, oh, you've, you've only missed Resident Evil. Afterwards, I realized it was Resident Evil 4. It was, was Resident like, Evil 4. What do you mean I've only missed Resident Evil? It's so, the thing I was looking forward to the most. We should talk about um, the slightly mixed reaction to this because it's interesting. For me and you or people who have followed the channel, they'll know that it leaked a while ago that the way Capcom were reapproaching this game was to change, quote unquote, quite a lot about it in terms of how much you value or identify the tone of Resident Evil, the campy sort of overall tone to it with the appeal of Resident Evil 4. I very much do. I love the energy of that game. I love how over the top it is. I like the pivot point that Resident Evil took um, back in 2004. And I, I I was on board for Resident Evil 5 and then I dropped off for RE6. Um, and it's interesting that they've gone back uh, since 7 and then obviously RE2 remake um, or Resident Evil 2 remake was way more serious again. So with the remake of 4, it's the lighting is completely different. It's way more horror focused. It's not as overblown. Um, and they've said in, or that it sort of leaked, um, you know, months ago or whatever, that this was going to be almost like the Resident Evil 2 remake, but done RE4 style. Um, I think it looks solid. I think the fact that Resident Evil 4 still plays immaculately yeah. makes this more optional and makes this sort of general palette tweak or tone tweak more optional. It lets it stand alongside the RE4, the original RE4. 100%. I, I, I fully, fully agree. Mm. And I'm excited for them to make changes because, like you mentioned there, Resident Evil 4 is still so ubiquitous. Like, you could go on your PS4, PS5, whatever console you want mm. right now, and Steam, play Deck. Res- Steam Deck and play Resident Evil 4, and it will hold up. Like, that's still almost a perfect game. Yeah. Like, it's still incredible. You can jump in there right now. It's incredibly accessible. So, because of that, if they're going to spend the time and millions of dollars doing some kind of remaster or remake, I would prefer them to make it different because right. otherwise I think, what's the point? Yeah, you can make a prettier version of the Resident Evil 4 that exists right now, but we've already got mm. HD updates. We've already got higher resolution versions, higher frame rate versions of that game already available. So if you're going to spend the time and the resources to reapproach that title, yeah, give us something different as you did with Resident Evil 2 and 3, mm. which were markedly different from the original games, not just in the ways uh, that they change, you know, the camera to be over the shoulder and what have you. Like, if you're going to go back to this title that is arguably perfect already, pretty much, like, give us a reimagining. Give us a, a completely altered take on it. At least that's my opinion. That no, to same. me is, is, is way more exciting than just uh, Resident Evil 4 as it is with more visuals, because while I would take that, you know, if, if these games take three years to make do something a little bit different. Yeah, I back that. Because um, I have one question, though. When was the last time you played the original Resident Evil 4? It was literally only a few years ago. Okay. Yeah, just So that game, um, I went back to it um, a few weeks ago. Something reminded me of Resident Evil 4. Maybe it was just a leak that we looked at or something. So I bought another copy of it because I've already got like seven. But I didn't have one on the Switch. And I was like, I want to play this on the train, goddammit. So I got that. And I was going back through it, and I haven't played through that game past the opening village bit in quite some time. Me and my wife played through it, um, and she was like, this is too much. We're not doing past the opening bit. Right. And we tried every single opening for Resident Evil to see which one stuck, and we ended up doing more of seven. Anyway, um, with this game, though, uh, with Resident Evil 4, I kind of forgot how Metal Gear Solid the writing of Leon is. Yes. Like, he's almost like the way Solid Snake is in Metal Gear Solid 1, where he's just flirting all the time, and he's like, (laughs) there's a a lot of sort of horn in that game. (laughs) There is. um, That I think they'll 
they'll get rid of in the new one because it just doesn't really fit. It, it's very 2004. Yeah. It's very, uh, you know, male video game protagonist talking to any female. And I think they'll change some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, I get that, like, you can obviously, you can kind of play it off as, like, campy, fun tone. But there are parts of it that I think they'll ditch for the remake. Absolutely. And it's, I, I want to make, like, a distinction between mm. me thinking that changing it is a good idea in practice versus what I actually think about those changes. Right. Because, you know, from the trailer, from the very short um, snippet that we've seen so far, for instance, you know, setting the opening scene at night to me is almost sacrilege. I know what you mean. Because, like, while the night is obviously scary, everyone is afraid <laughs> of the dark, it, Resident Evil 4's atmosphere was so distinct from the yep. previous games because you kind of had this entirely strange new European setting that was, you know, grey and it was overcast. Well, it's it's gaming's Wicker Man. Absolutely. Like, it's, it's yeah. like it, that's why it was so immediately iconic. No one had ever done that before. 100%. And, and it's almost like, I think we might have talked about this before, you know, for me, one of the scariest um, scenes genuinely mm. ever is in Shaun of the Dead. In the morning of Shaun of the Dead, when Shaun goes to the shop, I was so scared of that as a kid. Really? Because it subverted my expectations of making the horror um, a part of the daytime. And that felt so subversive at the time because, you know, you expect bad things to happen at night. You right. don't expect to be, like, attacked during the day. And it's, like, a subtle change in, in like, the grand scheme of things. Mm. People might just say, well, it's just, like, going from dusk till the night. But for me, it does kind of change the texture of the horror in a way that uh, kind of, for me, potentially takes away from the uniqueness of yeah. the atmosphere in Resi 4 and makes it something more standard, perhaps. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
No, I totally agree. I think that it's weird because I think that's one of the most obvious and immediate changes and one of the earliest things that leaked about the new version of it. And it's also interesting because Resident Evil Village was kind of this quasi-sequel to RE4 and that in itself is set at the daytime, or it is at the beginning anyway. Um, Or at least it fluctuates, I guess, but you do have big portions in the daytime. So maybe they're putting this out there as the first piece of footage to sort of shock people and go, look how much we've changed. Um, And then maybe we'll get to do that central area in the daytime at some point and we can have the whole, oh my God, it does remind me of the original type thing. But I think their overall um, like game direction is to differentiate it. And um, I, because I, in one of the most recent press releases, I saw this doing the rounds on Twitter. Um, Capcom are referring to it internally as the reawakened version of Resident Evil Four. Right. Um, so it's not necessarily a remake. It's not a replacement or whatever. It's just this other version of it. Well, I mean, one of the reports that came out back in the day that we covered on the news, but may not have talked about on the podcast, mm. was uh, suggested that the original developers for this were the developers for the uh, Resident Evil Three remake. Yeah. Obviously, that wasn't. Re- Received as well hmm. as, as the as the as the second one was, and apparently, like the takeaway that Capcom had from that was that they played it too safe. They they yep. stuck too close to the template of the original. And one of the successes of Resident Evil Two was remixing it. You know, like introducing Mister X, who was only part of like one campaign yeah. in the original, like making him a central figure, and uh, not only just regurgitating what was there before, but you know, remixing it. Mm. Reimagining reawakening it. Reawakening it. Reawakening it. And yeah, it seems like they very much kind of decided that, swapped the developers around to the mm. people who made the second game and were like, right, you know, carte blanche, what would you do if you were making this from the ground up in 2022? I tell you what they'll do, and I kind of don't want them to do this, even though they'll kind of have to do this, is make uh, the bag man, the chainsaw man, the next pursuer enemy. Because he right. was one of the original ones. Um, but Ooh. I am sick of Pursuer AI. I ah. never loved it in Resident Evil 2 anyway, because I've got puzzles to solve. I've not got time, Mr. X. Leave me alone. That's fascinating. And I agree. I think if they introduce a Pursuer enemy like that, I'll be a little bit disappointed. Because I think they'll have to, because otherwise, how do you do Chainsaw Man? Well, you just have him be a mini-boss, surely, like that. Yeah. We're not We're not so... That's not so outdated that they can't just no, but throw I think, him in like that, surely. I feel like they've played with the idea of like Pursuer AI as their thing. Yeah. And I feel I like... Like they were, they, they, I say that I feel like I say blow their load every week on Monday. <laughs> you do, they you blew do. their load, uh, their nemesis sized load on Mr. X, and they should have kept that AI, that surprise, that whole revelation of what it felt like to be pursued for Resident Evil 3. Nemesis. That's what that thing was. Yes. Like, um, to pursue you through the entire game. They did that with Mr. X, then it felt reused with Nemesis, and then it felt reused when it happened, like, four times in Resident Evil Village, um, especially with Lady Dimitras. So, it's that thing where I'm sick of that. I I get sick of there's an enemy always behind you walking towards you slowly that you can't kill. Me too. Even though I've just talked about, you know, changes to this game, I Mm. think one of the strengths of 4 that they should keep is its pacing and its linearity in a lot of ways. Yeah, just just, just go. You don't need to... um, (laughs) shoehorn in, uh, you know, wide linear sections when mm. you don't need to. You don't need to shoehorn in these enemies that will pursue you. You've already got the regenerators later on anyway that kind of fit that same mold. Like, mm. keep it snappy, keep the pacing high, and then do whatever you want to do with the story and whatever within that framework, I think. Yeah, totally. They'll nail, I think it's the regenerador. The regenerador. Yes. I think they'll nail that thing's reveal because in the original game, it's just random game, like just in-game, and you hear it for ages, and eventually it comes around the corner, and you're like, what the hell is that? Um, I kind of hope they keep that, but if they remix the lighting, especially, they can make that scene, like, really pop, I guess, if it's something, because the fandom has only enhanced that thing over time. Definitely. Um, as one of the scariest enemies in gaming history, and etc. Um, but yeah, Resident Evil 4, um, the remake opened the show. Um, I'm just going to jump around stuff, because I forget what order it was in. <laughs> um, but the next big talking point, I think, is the fact that Stray, the next PlayStation exclusive, is coming to the PlayStation Plus premium service. 
service, which is their way, Sony's way, of kind of driving a wedge in between their own £70 premium price point stuff, saying we're never going to do first-party releases, or at least exclusives, day one, and full-on Game Pass releases, where everything is expected day one, where they can pick and choose. They're going to curate it. Um, it's interesting with Stray, because I feel like that game's reputation or general buzz is mixed anyway. I don't feel like it's fever pitch. I feel pe- like people just yeah. go, cool, the cat game. I can get the cat game for free, or I can get the cat game as part of my monthly subscription. And that's sweet. Um, but I feel like that's not the, a, a great way to test that whole service. I feel like the whole rollout of this premium right, service is okay. kind of abysmal anyway. Like it's out in uh, North America in like two weeks or yeah. a week. And then we have it in like two weeks or three weeks. And you'd barely even know. Like yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, crazy. It's a strange rollout. Can I just say, by the yes. way, that I was surprised at how many of our predictions actually came true. I know. Considering how mad we went. And although we didn't get straight <laughs> coming to PS Plus, we did predict that a game would come to PS Plus day one. I thought it was going to be forespoken, but it's... Mm turned out to be stray for me honestly you've just mentioned people there who you know might just be interested in the cat game who want to pick it up that was me you've talked to me about stray so many times before and i've kind of been like i'll wait till the reviews i might try it now this week's cyberpunk game josh (laughs) (laughs) now after seeing the new trailer and knowing that i'll get it for free i will absolutely give Mm. this a go so for me it's worked on that level yes i do think they need to push this playstation plus thing way harder but at the same time i do think this is a win in It is a reason to invest in that um, service if they are going to have releases like this be there day one, that they will pick and choose, like you just said. I do like um, it as a way to sort of, you know, make sure that certain games get eyeballs on them regardless. Like, I'll always point to Concrete Genie. That was a PlayStation exclusive um, that just absolutely bombed, that they didn't get behind at all. Um, and it's just, it's just, you barely even knew it happened. Like, it was like sort of, I think it was 2018-ish. Uh, I really cool mechanics. It was all about like sort of doing paintings and summoning the demon world or different demons and suppressing them and using different um, like pieces of graffiti and wall art and everything else. And that game was just completely flat. Whereas if you put that on a PlayStation Premium service, at least people would check it out. It's, it's already in front of you. You might as well. Um, and I feel like that will happen with Stray. But I just thought the wider conversation on Sony's approach to tackling Game Pass, that's interesting. Because I feel like um, they've kind of front-loaded their um, appeal, the monthly appeal. Would you say they've blown their load? I might say that, see, they're building up. They wish they had a load to blow. <laughs> like, I wish they had a load to blow with this. Um, because I'm looking at the what they're putting out, and they're like, well, we've got Wild Arms and Siphon Filter and Mr. Driller and whatever, and Tekken 2, and some of them have got trophies. Now, the idea of old-school games with modern trophy support is brilliant, but so far they've not gone... On, you know, they've not done enough of it. Like, it sort of feels like they're kind of holding back. It's still, like I said, I don't know if I said this on the podcast, but it feels like a whip round. It feel like they, feels like they went to a bunch of studios with can in hand and just said, what can you throw in here? Because we've got some, we need to do something next week. And so, I don't know, I still feel like that there's a, a marked lack of confidence in this thing. And I feel like Jim Ryan's just gone, just put the cat game on. Just sort of <laughs> throw that on as well. They want something first party um, or sort of exclusive. Um, chuck that on and we'll see how it does. And if it does well, we'll do more. Yeah. But right now, it's just very, very weak. You could be right. It is just like, you know, whatever they have at hand. I imagine Stray was at hand because it has been delayed, you know, so many times and what have you, and probably will, like you say, get more eyeballs on it. I don't think that's inherently a bad thing, but yeah, it's it's certainly not the... uh, confident kind no, of it's, it's, push. No, it's awesome for Stray, but I just think it's a, it's just a, the whole service has such a lack of, it's just, they're just sort of, yeah, whatever. Oh, Game Pass, is it? Oh, yeah, we're better than that, but yeah, fine, we'll do one. Yeah, whatever. Like, it just has this Sony hubris that they've always had um, that they try to suppress and it bubbles up when they're in the lead and it, it's bubbling up now and I, so they just sort of go, oh, you peasants want backwards compatibility, do you? <laughs> like, oh, we'll do trophies, but only if the developers agree to it. Like, we're not going to mandate it, like Xbox are mandating stuff. Yeah, um, yeah those things annoy me um but speaking of getting more eyeballs on stuff the king of the year might be here 
Come on, who Callisto is this? Protocol, the king of the, the king year. of the. There's something about this game that I'm just I'm just calling it. I don't know why. I just think it's so confident, it's so polished and purposeful, and it looks so good. I think it might dethrone Elden Ring. That is a bold. I, can, bold I don't claim. even know why I really think this. Right. I just kind of have this thought that something could be Elden Ring for the rest of the year. And there's something about Cluster Protocol, the fact that it's Glenn Schofield, the fact that he's got over a decade of hating EA for ruining Dead Space, and you can find his old tweets where he's like swearing at EA and saying they ruined the franchise after and after he left and everything. Um, you know, the guy that made Dead Space going on to do his return franchise with this sort of dream studio that he put together. Initially, it was going to be set in the PUBG timeline, but yeah. they've managed to separate that because it was probably going to be a lead weight that would drag it down. Um, and then the gameplay that they showed off just looks so immaculate. It just looks Resident Evil 2 remake style, Dead Space style, but next gen. And I just think it it has so much, it's just, it could be like everything we described, like a really purposeful, focused single player title that nails its story, nails its atmosphere um, and succeeds in a way that, like, if there's one area that Elden Ring doesn't succeed in, it's maintaining its pace the entire way through. Not that I don't think it's pacey, but I think that they have the the duplicate elements, the repeat dungeons, the the right. little the little things. If it starts coming down to splitting hairs, then which it will do. <laughs> it will. Um, do. Elden Ring is so far out in the lead right now. You might as well just call it as game of the year, which we will probably do in like yes. a month's time. Um, but there's something about Callisto Protocol that I just think has all the elements right, and I I hope that it nails everything. First off, I will uh, just swallow the uh, <laughs> opinion that Elden Ring is not pacey enough. I will save that for the inevitable it's not, game it's not, of the year podcast. It's not pacey because I think one of the most remarkable things about it is that it has new things to show you for 100 hours. I love that. But it's the fact that if I have to poke holes in its armor, it is the, the repeat right. dungeons, the repeat bosses, um, which can lead to a, oh, I'm just mopping this stuff up, style field. That's what I'm going for. I... We'll swallow that and move on to the Callisto Project, which <laughs> I, loads I, on I, Monday. I fully agree with, man. Like, like the Callisto Project looks, looks absolutely sick. Yes, I'm, my, me, personally, I'm not going to say that it's going to be a Game of the Year contender just because I don't want to overhype it. Mm. I am so starved for like a great new survival horror game. And like Same. you said, the pedigree that this has from the developers, from the trailers, the way it looks, the, the gnarly kind of graphics and atmospherics on display. Creature like, design as well. Creature design. I I, I, I want this to knock my socks off. I'm absolutely looking forward to it a lot. And I just think, like, it's great to have this alongside Resident Evil 4, alongside uh, the Dead Space remake. You know, mm. like, there are, there are a lot of good third-person survival horror games to look forward to going into uh, the end of this year mm. next. That, as for me, as a survival horror fan, a big survival horror fan, is just, like, I, I'm eating well. No, right same. Now. I mean, like, I think it's, gonna be, it's fascinating because I watched the trailer, and then when they were like, it's coming, I think it's December 2nd or yes. something. It's right at the end of the year, which it might not make. Like, it would be really cool if it does. I feel like that game, obviously, because of the of the COVID and the pandemic, time is just a weird warp from the last few years. But I feel like that game's barely been talked about, and now it's coming out in December. Um, but it is going to be interesting to watch that go up against the Dead Space remake, however that drops. Because for me, the Dead Space remake is just, I just shrug shoulders, I don't care. Like, it's 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 I can just go play Dead Space, it's great. But, like, uh, Dead Space 2 is arguably better. But, like, that whole thing, you know, like, this is going to come out, and like I said, it's going to be that original guy's idea or whatever he wants to do next that he wasn't allowed to do he couldn't do um in the direction that dead space went in i'm just i just think that'll imbue it with a certain passion and purpose and confidence that the dead space remake will just tick boxes whereas right. this guy will make the boxes i hope i hope the boxes are made for this and i think <laughs> at the very least it's uh it's a reminder for us to not draft our game of the year list before december you seen rolls my around <laughs> i know this i know sometimes we're like right the, the, the year's over there's not going to be anything that beats this uh, these games yeah, will be yeah. cut off 
this game cannot be cut off, I don't think. And no. I, I think it just comes out... Does it come out just in time for the Game Awards? Maybe. Hopefully. It'll not meet the qualifiers, because I think right. because it's the very beginning of December and they shoot... They, they've already, like, filmed their stuff by then. Okay. I forget. I don't know if I'm breaking embargo by talking about the potential cut off no, for that I don't stuff. think so, because no. Cyberpunk was the same situation, wasn't it? Like, yes. that missed out by releasing, like, just a few days afterwards. Mm. Not that I would have won in hindsight, but you know what I mean? Everyone no, was kind of mad for that. Uh, yeah, but the, the way time. that, that um, it's going to... Yeah, like roll out. It's like that. The very tail end of the year, there might be this Adonis of a game that just sort of wipes. Oh, it doesn't wipe out Elden Ring, but potentially claims it. I'll tell you what. That oh, was wow. the real win for the state of play for me. Was mm. reminding me that we have a uh, 2022 games to look forward to. Yes, there were a lot of things in Same. there that 2023, like Final Fantasy and what have you. But now we've got Stray. Now we've got the Callisto Project. Now we've got that rollerblading game Roll that is coming out this year. So that, on top of whatever comes out of the Summer Game Fest, on top of whatever comes out of the Xbox and Bethesda Showcase, mm. hopefully will give the next half of the year the injection that we are so uh, gagging for. Yes, I mean, that was the thing, was um, that whole energy of writing, of quote-unquote writing off the year, but also knowing that Elden Ring is just so huge. Like, there hasn't really been a game release like this since 2017, when it was Breath of the Wild, and everyone knew when that released, I think it was in May, um, that that just was going to be Game of the Year. Um, and obviously 2017 still had Horizon and stuff, but like, this has that energy of like, it's going to take a lot to beat this game. And like I said, I don't, I can't specifically put my finger on it, because we've only seen a few moments of gameplay, but there's just some about this game that I just think is so well made um, and I just I just hope that it um, comes together we should end on a very quick thoughts on the PlayStation VR 2 because this was meant to be the focus of the showcase but then it kind of just wasn't like there was there was chunks of time devoted to it and um, I was checking my phone to be honest no I, I just I didn't I don't I watched it but it's another on-rails first-person thing, it's isn't it? It's literally not. It's, um, it's, it's, it's Horizon rails. Dinosaur walks over it's you and you... No, no. Uh, it's, oh. it's not on rails. Another character talking straight to you, is it? I mean, listen, the Horizon game was the thing that excited me the least, but yes. it had everything else that I wanted when we did the last week, uh, the podcast last week. We got... The Walking Dead. I freaked Simpsons out Sinners. you getting the Walking Dead. Chapter sequel. two. That was awesome. That is everything <laughs> that I wanted. I the, the first game, the first Walking Dead Sinners game, gave me some of my favorite gaming moments mm. ever. So I'm just hoping that with the added tech of PSVR two, that thing can be taken to a whole new level. I thought that looked incredible. Uh, Resident Evil Eight, obviously coming to VR, is was mm. again music to my ears. Resident Evil Four remake as well. I Resident Evil Four remake as well. Like yeah. there's some exciting things there. Uh, like I. I will play through all of those Resident Evil games. Is it going to be a launch lineup that, you know, sells the casual game on the PSVR 2? Maybe not. Mm. Is it going to make me want to pre-order even more than I already do? <laughs> Absolutely. Like, the, the things they announced for VR, even though it was only a fraction of the show, um, they just... Like like we've said, we ticked all the right boxes for me. Mm. I'm I'm very curious about what PSVR two feels like, and I mean literal brain like brain capacity feels like. Like does it does it literally transport you to a place? Because I didn't feel like PSVR one really did. Like certain parts did, um, and I'll always remember. I made a life memory when I got stabbed in VR uh, playing that getaway type thing, the PSVR Worlds demo thing. And there's a bit where some character betrays someone and stabs you in the stomach, and my brain made my stomach hurt. And I went, <laughs> "That's fascinating that I can feel that." Um, but it wasn't until I played um, Resident Evil 4, um, the original, but like done VR style on the Oculus Quest, where that 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 things the technology is just so much more responsive. Like it's not relying on lights to track where you are or whatever. Um, and that's when my brain went, "You are here." You are doing this, you are feeling all the motion, the, the momentum of just walking in this space, that I was like, oh, okay, this is VR. Like, for me, it, it needed that extra step. So I'm hoping that that's, like, what the PSVR 2 is going to be. Because, like, speaking of before, you know, Jim Ryan throwing things in a bucket and hoping for the best, that was 
the original PlayStation VR, like reusing the PlayStation Move controllers. <laughs> yeah. And the only sync option is whether it can track headset lights. Like, what the hell was that? <laughs> like, that was like sort of, sort of, I don't know, find it in a dodgy shop on a street corner hoping for the best. Like, that, that held was, together uh, with uh, tape and string. That was absolutely string. someone at Sony who desperately wanted to do VR. And then people at the higher, at the top level being like, yeah, you can do it <laughs> if you deliver it for a tenet. Yes, you know what literally. I mean? It's like the, the Homer Simpson car of v- VR headsets. <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> Which it did its job, and I loved um, Super Hot on there. But yeah, I, it's got a lot more ground to travel. I still will have the whole conversation around, you know, can you even sell P- like VR? Can you even tell the average person what VR is? Because they have to try it for themselves. And then you have to do booths in physical game shops, which people don't bother with physical game shops anymore. So it's like all that stuff. But it might just be one of those things where it is just the hobbyist. Like, you know, people who are into VR are into VR and you get it. Um, kind of similar to how I've been into emulation on the Steam Deck. That already feels like something like that. Is that true? It is a bit true. How was your Steam Deck? It's quite nice, to be honest. It's very very PC. Right. Um, It is very much a tiny little PC. I'll not talk too much about the Steam Deck because I've only had it for a few hours. Um, I got it it yesterday, and I spent most of last night going, how do I get PsyOps the Mangate Conspiracy onto (laughs) this portable thing? Um, And so I downloaded some games. I um, played a couple of things that were already pre-installed. Sorry, that were already recommended. Like, there's a a Valve-developed game for the Steam Deck. uh, But it's just... It's that Valve sense of humor, which I've got to be in the mood for, where I was like, I've, I fired up the Steam Deck, and obviously it's very PC, it's quite quirky, and it's a very bulky thing, um, and I was just like, there's so many little things to sort of faff with, and all these sliders of brightness, and, and all these different things to like faff with, that make it feel like when you PC, when a console person PC games, right. there's like a million little things to tweak, yeah. and if you're into that, you love it, or it's not a big deal, or whatever, it's a big deal for me, I just want to play, I hate all the faff and the setup, like it's like, it's like my anxiety with... Um, like graphics options in game, performance mode, fidelity mode. Take that and times it by 20, and then that's the amount of things you can faff with. And so the very first thing the Steam Deck loaded was an error screen. So I was like, of course, of course you did. Um, it didn't like load wherever the Steam page was. And then I was playing this, the Valve developed game, which uh, I forget what it's called now. It's something deck builder thing. And it's like, it's like a quirky thing about working in the portal factory and building toilets. And I was like, this is, no, I want to play the, I want to play something that's impressive. And that like, you know, I spend all the money on this thing. So I was like, I'm going to look up all the emulation stuff. And I looked up how to get, and I finally did get it working. I managed to drag all the files across into all the different folders and rename all the whatever it was and I eventually played Mortal Kombat Shaolin Monks wow. on my Steam Deck and then Def Jam Fight for New York and then Smackdown Here Comes the Pain and Ultimate Spider-Man and that was when I was like this is perfect this is right. exactly what it needs to be because um, I just wanted to be an emulation station I wanted to be the um, handheld version of emulation that PC players describe every single time a console person mentions something like the Nintendo Switch Online or the Game Pass or whatever whenever we talk about oh my god I wish they would put Soul Reaver on the PlayStation Premium service and some person in the distance who's a PC person is just cackling going I've had that for 10 years <laughs> and it runs in 4k and it's 60 fps and whatever else so once I got that working and it just worked all the controls just mapped and it worked and I was playing Shaolin Monks in 60 fps and it was beautiful I was like this is cool yeah. but there is that it's not the Steam Deck has not eliminated the PC faff because as much as they try to sell the Steam Machine like that and now the Steam Deck, you've still got to be up for a lot of file, drag and droppy, rename this, look at this file extension, Googling every last step of it because there's an error message that the tutorial didn't show you and whatever. And the thing is, I've Ugh. seen you, watched you set up this podcast every week for months now. <laughs> I know 
how much uh, you just want things to go and how I little do. that happens in your life. I know. <laughs> it's like, that's the thing. Consoles are the only thing that just do that for me. Everything <laughs> else throws me some stupid step or some weird error message that like, you know, I could follow like a step-by-step guide for putting my shoes on yeah. and some error message will pop up and that wasn't in the <laughs> tutorial. And then I've got to go off and Google that. And then like three people experience that message and it's like, oh my God. But yeah. The point being that, yeah, the Steam Deck's very powerful. Obviously, it can run Elden Ring, God of War. Like, it has this, ins- it is an insane piece of kit. And I think the more that I'll spend time with it, the more I'll get that. Um, and already, I'm already getting, uh, I already know what I want to do. I want to get a dock for it and I want to, like, pair it with my TV. Because um, there is a desktop mode, which just turns it into a PC. It just, just literally with a, de- with a little launcher in the corner and whatever. And um, you can download stuff and unzip files, and it's just a PC. Um, and I want to dock it and put it on my TV and um, Bluetooth the controller to it and then finally have my Steam library on my TV as well as on the go. I will ask the controversial question yes. that I'm sure everyone is thinking right now. <laughs> and by everyone, I mean me. Yes. Uh, does this now mean that PC games are now eligible for our Game of the Year lists because they have not been since it I have worked here. depends when they came out, Josh. <laughs> because it depends on the year they came out. Um, it depends because if something came out in early access two years beforehand, it's not going to be counted <laughs> in the year that we're doing Game of the Year. But um, yeah, I guess we'll see because we didn't um, count. One of the things I got a demo for was Inscription, one of the only games from last year Sick. that everyone was talking about and it yes. was only on Steam um, and there's a demo for that um, on the Steam uh, Marketplace or whatever so I got that immediately so I'll finally be able to experience Inscription. Um, I don't know I feel like I just go off what most, this is an interesting conversation um, for maybe another time because most outlets go off when something arrived on console, that's what they um, just class as that game's release day. Obviously over time with early access and everything else it's changed those things but I kind of go with that's what I largely stick to yeah, I yeah. mean, I mean we, we, we've certainly come down on this, like, for the past few years. And I, I would agree, just because, you know, we have less access to PC games, it mm. makes more sense for us as a more console-focused uh, podcast, and mm-hmm. I guess mostly... And the audience is definitely console-based yeah, as well. Yeah, totally, to play it to our strengths. It's, it's it's kind of a weird question that gets brought up, though. Uh, that well, it's the gaming version of, one? you know, in film, when it's I like... I just about to say Yes, yeah, like UK yes. release dates versus, like, US or worldwide release dates. Oh, what was it? Because we get stuff a year later yeah. sometimes, and it's like, well... That's, That's not one of all the movies of the year. Especially with the pandemic, because, yeah, obviously we're a UK-based uh, um, you know, outlet, but a lot of our um, audiences from the US. So it's like, do we take, like, do we rank the 2022 movies from the UK releases, but mm. then know that most of our audiences saw all of these movies on the 2021 list <laughs> that they've been watching? It's a, it's a weird, weird thing to navigate. We've had so many conversations, such a wider conversation. We've had so many conversations about the fact that, um, I think now the bulk of our audience are, in America so when we're talking about currency and how much something is worth or how much something is retailing for right. we should use dollars or we should start using more westernized stuff um, that's just that's a whole reality of living on YouTube I will confess something before Go we on. end this when I was 11 years old in <laughs> school I started saying sidewalk now to the Americans out there we do not call sidewalks sidewalks no. in the UK we it's call them path. like a path yeah. but I thought this will be cool and I can just say that I've said this forever it'll be amazing I... everyone said you're lame, and then didn't talk to me. So that didn't work. <laughs> I said license plate for the longest time. And when I look Ooh, at a license plate, I, I still think license plate. The I, UK is number plate. Is that true? I, I didn't Blowing know that. First the gibbon and now this. Holy just hell. Blowing the minds. I just thought it was license plate. Oh. I did not know that. Yeah, it's a number plate in the UK, but um, there's yeah. all sorts of stuff. Um, but yeah, we're never not going to um, acquiesce to garage. 
But you, you'll do, well, you know, get, it's a garage. When, when you get, you know, your, your extension of your house done, you know, when you get like into Aluminum. your middle age, then you might start saying garage. And I might do. If I'm, if I'm feeling a bit spicy. Acquiesce. Yeah. <laughs> I've started using acquiesce. I don't know why. I, did, I put it in an article the other day and I've started using um, ensconced. Ensconced. If you're sort of surrounded by stuff, you're ensconced in it. Incohate for me is the one Ooh. I've been trying to get into everywhere. One time in school, again, on. just now it's just about my life. <laughs> one time in school, I, I knew what the word monotonous meant, right? Right. And when I was in year seven, I put that in every piece of English work because I knew it was the a good The irony of that, though. I know, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. And that always got me high grades just for using monotonous. It was like <laughs> it was like a silver bullet to get, like, just cheat me way through, like, that year of school. I, like, remember that when I was younger, just sort of words just come to your brain. You're like, well, I must have picked this up somewhere. Yeah. I have no idea where, but I know how to use this now. Um, anyway, nothing to do with video games, but, you know, the, the games are existing. We played some of them. We did some new stuff. And there's more games actually coming out for the rest of this year. Now Dude. after the, the state of play. And there's Summer Games Fest and the Xbox Bethesda stuff. All sorts of things. And the quarry at the end of this week. That was what I rudely interrupted for. Well, the thing is, there's more games that I've played. Um, the quarry at the end of this week and also Mario Strikers Battle League, which I I'll, that game is a whole thing. Uh, Jules' review is going up um, towards the end of the week. Um, but that game is potentially poised to be a big microtransaction mess and I guess we'll wait and see because Nintendo's not done that on a home console release yet. Um, the game's listed on the uh, ESRB rating as having in-game purchases but some of their other stuff does but it tends to be for DLC. However, this game does have a coin system and lots of uh, costumes and skins and stuff and it just feels like that's what they're going to try and do mm. um, with how big football and stuff is around the world. Anyway... This has been the wind-up. I don't even know if I said that at the beginning. You did. Um, but it's been the wind-up. I've been Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you. Thank you all very much, and we'll catch you next week. Bye. Goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.